Broadcast friends, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com coming to you as every night here on Republic Broadcasting, and we are broadcasting out right now on 1140KHFX in Dallas-Fort Worth and around the world at RepublicBroadcasting.org. So once again, thank you for joining us tonight here on Corbett Report Radio, and it's great to have you here as we continue exploring some of the very worrying things that crept up in the latter part of 2011 and are looming very large on the horizon Here in 2012, of course, I'm referring to the NDAA, that absolutely America-destroying legislation that was passed and signed into law by the uh, person claiming to be President Obama. And uh, there on New Year's Eve, December 31st, while no one was watching, and unfortunately, it is now signed into law. And lo and behold, no sooner does that happen than the next piece of America-destroying legislation comes down the line, and we're talking about H.R. 3166, which everyone should have their eye on right now. It's been kicked off into committee, and we'll see how it goes, but it's better known as the Enemy Expatriation Act, and that's right. Now the government will be able to say that you are a terrorist and strip you of your U.S. citizenship, so I guess it doesn't even matter whether NDA applies to American citizens or not. They can simply strip you of that citizenship in the first place. So absolutely unthinkable things are happening right now. The type of tyranny that we've seen developing for a long time, but you just could not imagine that they would sign into law like this and put it in black and white, and here it is. So the question is, how can we confront this? Well, to help answer that and sort through what's going on right now, I'm very honored to be joined tonight by Stuart Rhodes, the founder of Oath Keepers at OathKeepers.org. So let's uh, let's go straight to him, Stuart. Uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight, and thank you for taking the time. You have me on. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate having you here because obviously Oath Keepers has been at the forefront of bringing awareness and attention to these types of issues since its founding on April nineteenth, two thousand nine. But for people, I'm, I'm assuming many of the people out there already know about Oath Keepers. But for those who don't, just in the minute or two we have here, perhaps you can give a brief summary of what Oath Keepers is and uh, where it's coming from. What we are is an association of current serving military police and firefighters and also veterans of that service. And and what we have in common is the oath we swore to support and defend the Constitution. And I founded this organization. Actually, this was the issue more than any other issue that drove me to found this organization when I realized that Congressman Paul was not going to be nominated for the Republican nomination in 2008. I knew that whether it was McCain or Obama, we were in trouble. And uh, when I was a student at Yale Law School, uh, back in 2004, I wrote a paper on enemy combatant status, which was all about this claim to be able to apply the laws of war to the American people. And I could already see back then what was coming. I predicted in that paper that the logical conclusion of this claimed authority to detain Americans and the laws of war was that you could also just kill them, which is what you can also do in wartime. And as you've seen recently, Obama has begun to do that. He's begun to actually kill Americans. And so what, 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 the NDA, what, what the NDAA is, is Congress just jumping on the pile and agreeing with both the Bush and Obama administrations that, yes, we can treat Americans just like Iraq or just like Afghanistan. Citizenship is irrelevant. And with this expatriation act that they, that they now have, they are even going further and saying, not only can we just treat you like an enemy if you're an American citizen, we can also just strip you of your citizenship. 
Absolutely right. Uh, just, again, absolutely unthinkable a few years ago, and here it is in black and white. So we'll continue talking about this incredible legislation with Stuart Rhodes at OathKeepers.org after these messages. Stay tuned right there. Friends, you're tuned into Corbett Report Radio. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Stuart Rhodes, the founder of Oathkeepers at Oathkeepers.org, and we're talking about the NDAA and all of the other craziness that is coming down the legislative pipe right now. Of course, this does not come from a vacuum. There's a, a, an entire history that, that's being brought into play here. So, Stuart, for the people out there who, who might not understand really about enemy combatant status and where all of this is coming from, perhaps you can give us a little bit of background to this issue. Well, ever since 9-11, it's been the same exact claim of power through both administrations. And that, that claim is, is that your citizenship is irrelevant, that they can apply the international laws of war to Americans precisely as they do to someone in Afghanistan and Iraq. No difference. The NSA spying on Americans without warrant was defended during the Bush administration as being the power of the commander-in-chief to surveil the battlefield, and America is a battlefield. Um, Bush detained two American citizens, Jose Padilla and Yasser Hamdi, in both cases of military detention, no access to an attorney, no you know, grand jury indictment, no, no, no civilian trial, nothing. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court upheld that in the Hamdi case in 2004, upheld the designation of an American citizen as an unlawful combatant under international laws of war, which is totally in violation of our Constitution. You go look at the Article Three Treason Clause, and it's right there in the text of the Constitution itself, tells you exactly what must be done with an American who is accused of making war against the United States or being the enemy. It requires a trial for treason in front of a jury of their peers in a civilian court, and it requires two witnesses to the overt act or a confession in open court. So extra evidentiary burden was put in place by the founders because they knew that the accusation of treason was the most serious charge any government could use against the citizens. And they knew that that charge was used to crush dissent and to crush political opponents of the rulers throughout history. And we have seen that since. And so what's happening now that they're circumventing the treason clause, circumventing the entire Bill of Rights, and Acting as the international law of war trumps the Constitution, trumps the Bill of Rights, and they can treat you just like you were a goat herder in Iraq. So a goat herder in Iraq who's accused of stealing his neighbor's goat, for example, will get you know a normal Iraqi trial. But if the U.S. military thinks you're a supporter of the enemy or an insurgent, what happens to the goat herder? He gets picked up and taken to Guantanamo. No trial whatsoever. This statute that just went through, NDAA, says the exact same thing can be done to an American. Under the laws of war, indefinite detention without trial, or trial by military tribunal. That's the claim. And so, and this latest thing with expatriation is simply one more piling on of another way to strip you of your rights. So they can Right, I mean, that, that's, that to me is one of the interesting parts of this, is that a lot of these things, like in, in the NDAA and in the, uh, the Enemy Expatri- Expatriation Act, is, is really things that they've already been claiming they already have this authority. It just seems they're kind of putting it further into black and white with their, their legislation, but it's already kind of been there for a number of years now. Well, it, it's been a claim authority of the president, and it, 
allowed balloons in the past. It was a Patriot Act II that had a citizenship stripping provision in it that didn't get passed. And the Lieberman, Lieberman tried this two years ago in 2010 with this terrorist expatriation act, that's what he called it back then. So they keep trying to, to put these things in place. And the point is, is, just, is to make it legal, because they know that the military is much more likely to go along with this if they can say, if they can point to a law passed by Congress and say, we'll see, pursuant to this the statute right here, it's all lawful to go ahead and follow our, our orders, even though they violate, you know, grossly violate the supreme law of the land, the Constitution. That's why, this is why I founded Oath Keepers. I knew that these treasonous SOBs were going to destroy our Bill of Rights, and the last stop is going to be whether or not the military says no. If the military can stand down and refuse, then we can have a peaceful restoration and a peaceful stand down like 1989 East Germany when the German military refused to fire on the people and the wall fell two days later. That's the goal, is to have them say, no, we will not do this. If they, if we fail, and if the military does begin to round up people, then the veterans of this country will fight. They will not let this country be wiped out and become the Fourth Reich. You know, we will fight. Well, all of at least until such time as the UAVs and the, uh, the unmanned attack robots and all of the, the other technology they're case. rolling out. doesn't make a difference. We'll still, we'll still fight anyway. Absolutely. Well, it's right all now. yeah, it's all that can be done at this point. But uh, but let's yeah. get back to sort of the the roots of where this is coming from and the authorization for use of military force, which was uh, passed in the wake of nine eleven. What was the real wording of that, and and how has that really is it, has that been the, the starting point for all of this? Absolutely, that was pretty much our enabling act. Came back in hindsight, what it said is, is it, it said the president of the United States has the authority to use force, military force against those nations, groups, and individuals he determines had anything to do with 9-11 or, or have been aiding or hiding those who were involved in the 9-11 attacks. And didn't say anything about detention, but the Bush administration immediately said, well, I can do this to anybody, and really anybody, including U.S. citizens, and that includes the power to detain, and all of that has been inferred from, from there forward. Everything Bush did was inferred from that. NSA spying on Americans, attention to the U.S. citizens, et cetera. And Obama, under that same um, bootstrapping and same interpretation of that authority, has to kill American citizens. Long before the NDAA was, was enacted, he was already doing these things. So the NDAA does, though, it gives the premature of Congress, clearly stating that, yes, when we, did, when we gave that authorization, we did authorize detention and military trial, along with the use of military force. And to any person who, and then they, then they expanded the category. In addition to those you know, supposedly involved with 9-11, they also added on who are part of al-Qaeda, part of the Taliban, um, or, or who aided them or aided affiliated organizations or committed acts of hostility against the United States. Much broader. But just as they you know, extrapolated out from the text of the 2001 opposition use military force, it will also extrapolate out from this. You can, you can count on it. And, of course, we have people say, well, I'm not worried about that. I'm not part of al-Qaeda. We're not supporting them. They're missing the point. You're not going to get a trial to determine whether or not you've done these things. They will just say you have, and off you go to Gitmo, just like the goat herder in Iraq. They'll just say, he is, and we find that by secret evidence or whatever, that he is aiding an associated group of al-Qaeda, and off you go. And once you're in that system, it will be a military judge 
who will hear your appeal or your challenge to your designation. No more indictment by grand jury. No more trial by jury under the Sixth Amendment. None of the rights of due process of our Constitution. Just whatever military, military courts will give you or whatever the federal courts want to cook up in some new system. That is what they're doing. They're throwing the Bill of Rights in the trash and saying we can treat you like a foreigner under the laws of war. Unfortunately so, and and clearly now the executive, of course, and now the legislative have, have clearly signed on to this agenda, and that leaves, I mean, it, really what this is is an end run around the judicial branch of government, so it leaves the question if there is any check or balance within the constitutional government you know, system uh, for this type of outrageous well, just uh, well, usurping. Look at the Fourth Circuit Padilla case, and the Fourth Circuit the DA case, they said, oh, the president can do anything he wants, and the court doesn't have any business challenging it. That's what they said. And then the, the Supreme Court in the Hamdi case in 2004 said that, you know, they, they, they said, well, the president is not unlimited. But all that really meant was that the court was protecting its own turf, as Scalia noted in his dissent, that the court was not sticking to the Constitution. That's why he dissented. He pointed out the treason clause, pointed out that habeas suspension has not been done by Congress. And he said, you guys are not following the Constitution. All you're doing is protecting your own turf and then playing Mr. Fix, is what he said. The court will construct some new program. And what the court ruled there is that nothing in the Constitution um, bars the U.S. government from treating one of its own citizens as an unlawful combatant. But they said, you do have a right to challenge that designation. You do have some minimal due process, but that could be satisfied by a military tribunal is what the Hamdi court said. And so, like I said, checking the Bill of Rights out the, out the window, and your due process will consist of probably a military tribunal. And that's exactly what this statute does. The NDAA has a provision that says that once you're sent to Guantanamo, if you, or anybody, if you challenge your designation, there will be a military judge who will preside over the termination of status, and you will get a military lawyer. You are now in the military system, just by them pointing a finger at you, once you're in there, that's where you're going to stay. And, I mean, for people who don't understand just what an affront this is to the entire history of Western jurisprudence and everything that's developed since the Magna Carta on, I mean, it's just absolute stripping away of whatever vestige of rights remained after all of the, the, the plucking away at the, the Constitution that's gone on for the last couple of hundred years. And uh, it's just as such an egregious affront to liberty that that it's, it's difficult to even encapsulate, especially just in a short radio program like this. I mean, people who haven't been immersed in this for a number of years may, may not understand the history of it, but, but that's well, why I hope just, they are going... Oh, please, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say ahead. that these, these were precisely the reasons our forefathers fought the American Revolution. Among the charges against the king was, one, he is affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power, and that's what this does. They claim the power to use military force, military jurisdiction, under the laws of war against the American people, rather than our criminal law. And, and number two was he could combine with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretend legislation. And this is much the same thing. It, international laws of war are foreign to our Constitution. And one other one was we're depriving us, in many cases, of the benefits of trial by jury. So exactly what, they were, what was done to the founding generation that required them to fight back is now being done to us. It was not just taxation without representation. It was exactly. denial of ancient rights. 
Exactly, and it doesn't take a, an Einstein to p- put those pieces together to, to see what needs to, to really be happening at this point. But uh, let's leave it on that note, and we'll be ba- back after these messages. We have one caller on the line. If you want to get in on tonight's conversation, it's 1-800-313-9443, and we'll be right back after this. As sure as I am the president, President Jimmy Carter. back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org about the NDAA and all of the other legislative nightmares that are coming along to further solidify the seemingly endless authority of the president to do whatever he wants in uh, this new paradigm that we've entered into. And uh, for those of you who are wondering, tonight is Thursday night, but we will not be talking to James Evan Pilato as usual on Thursday nights here on the broadcast as he is taking some much-needed time off for New Year's. So he'll be back next week, as will New World Next Week, my weekly YouTube video series with him. But on that note, we have uh, the, the phone lines opened up, 1-800-313-9443, and we have one caller patiently holding on the line. So let's go straight to him, Chris in Las Vegas. Chris, thanks again for calling in tonight. What's on your mind? Well, good evening, James and Stuart. I had some occurrences about this particular aspects of the Aliens uh, Sedition Act reinterpreted and revised uh, as the NDAA, and noticed some liberal utilizations and deployments of the word term persons throughout the purported act that seem to offer some particular uh, escape mechanisms for those who are knowledgeable and competent in the law. But I would observe that I believe that the Patriot Act is, in fact, to kill the Patriot Act, as they seem to be defined that they call us all terrorists and want to pursue us all under the Patriot Act and turn the Patriots into terrorists. I wonder what Stuart thinks about those thoughts. Oh, and also, there is a really important case, I apologize, that everyone should be aware of, and I suspect Stuart is, and that's Ex parte Milligan, which has the specific applications to address this very concept of legal schemes that's being crafted to destroy us all. You bet. You actually, absolutely, yes, he's correct. Ex parte Milligan is, is the 1866 case where the U.S. Supreme Court um, ruled uh, Lincoln's military detention and trial of northern civilians to have been unconstitutional. And it's really excellent. It's where the Supreme Court got it right. It was after the war was over, after Lincoln had been assassinated, after the emergency was over. Courts tend to be a little bit more sane with what they do. And it's a really good case. So Lincoln did it. It was considered unconstitutional, found unconstitutional, and it was never attempted again until FDR in 1942. Um, that's when they had the ex parte Quirin case, where the one of the eight German saboteurs came ashore, was a U.S. citizen. And FDR said, I don't care, I'm going to attend it anyway. And the New Deal, New Deal Court, the same court that gave him everything else he wanted, ruled that that particular citizenship, that that, that citizen, citizenship was irrelevant. And they pretty much, you know, gutted the ex parte Milligan decision. But he's correct. In fact, if folks want to go to our, our oathkeepers.org, there's an article I wrote there um, about oathkeeper launching a national effort to recall or remove members of Congress who voted for the NDAA. And in that is a link to a paper I had written back in my paper from Yale, uh, which won Yale's award for best Trip on the Bill of Rights. And I go through the Milligan case. I go through what Lincoln did 
and then what FDR did. And then what, what Bush did is reach back in time and grab that 1942 precedent from, from, from FDR from World War II. And that is what they had based all of this on, is that one horrendous decision, ex parte querent. So if you want to understand, you know, the constitutional system, how it's supposed to be, and what Lincoln did, and then what FDR did, and then what Bush did, and Obama, history is all there in that paper. But he's correct. That's the that's the key case if you want to see how it's done right. In that case, they said, look, you know, what he's accused of doing is is irrelevant. He's a northern civilian. He's not in the military. He's not part of the breakaway South that has now put itself in the same posture as a foreign nation, foreign enemy nation. He gets all the rights under the Bill of Rights. You cannot try him by military tribunal is what the court ruled. And like, like I said, they've ignored that decision. They, they've, in a sense, you know, gutted it and made the international laws of war supreme. That's what they have done. So um, did the 1942 uh, decision in any way address ex parte Milligan? Well, it did, but what they did is they, they mangled it. They said, oh, an ex parte Milligan, what he was accused of were, were, were crimes that were triable under jury. What we're talking about here are allegations of crimes that are only triable um, under the international laws of war by tribunal. So because he's being charged with violations of the laws of war, it's a military tribunal that will decide such crimes, not a jury, which flies totally in the face of Article 3, Section 2, which says that all crimes will be tried by by jury, and then Article 3, Section 3 of the Treason Clause, which says an American citizen accused of waging war against his own country gets a jury trial for treason. And they ignored that, and then they, they but they also just, you know, destroyed the Milligan decision. Because in the Milligan decision, he was accused of violating the laws of war. That was the that was the charge against the guy. They ignored that, pretended like that didn't happen. So they just, you know, they mangled it and, and, and ignored it and misinterpreted it. So it just, they ignored its holdings, put it that way. And they, they mangled the interpretation that, that the court gave. So, yeah. well, so you know, they said, look, what, what, what counts is not, not who you are, um, what counts is what you're charged with. And if you're charged under the laws of war, will be a military trial, even though it's nowhere in our Constitution. Absolutely not. Well, uh, Chris, uh, anything else on your mind tonight? Well, yeah, I would I would just suggest that I believe that Ex parte Claren was, in fact, the judicial activist case where the judge absolutely was conflicted and that had come to his conclusions without taking true accounts of the implications of Milligan, whereby the principal precipice of Milligan was the fact that it was a death sentence that was hanging over the accused head. Uh, I'll hang on for a minute if you let me. All right, no problem. Well, just hold on right there. We'll be right back after these messages. Once again, if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Welcome back, friends. You're tuned into Corporate Report Radio, and tonight's guest is Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. And the phone lines are open if you'd like to get in on tonight's conversation. 1-800-313-9443 will get you up and on the air. But right now we're talking to Chris in Las Vegas. So, Chris, would you like to finish up on what you were talking about before the break? Glad to. Thank you, James. 
Uh, anyway, in the Milligan case, the whole premise was he was appealing to the Article Three District Court of the United States on a great writ of habeas corpus pending a death sentence without any real true offerings of evidence or, or uh, facts against him to support the claim. It was a mere hyperbolous accusation, and he was about to suffer a, day, a hanging for it. And unfortunately, the, the circumstances being offered through this devious legal scheme of the NDAA is that dead people have a hard time filling out the paperwork to make a writ to appeal to the courts to look for the judicial relief for uh, errant servant uh, obstructing justice and denying due process and not affording jury trial. But first and foremost and lastly, I want to be sure and thank Stewart for having the legal awareness to suggest the removal from office by a mere petition of the citizenry of the states of errant or abrogational judicial or legal officials who are running afoul of the constitutional constraints and walking and stomping all over justice like they don't care about our country. And I thank him for what he's done in that respect and what he does with Oath Keepers. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak tonight. All right, Chris, thank you so much for that. And, uh, Stuart, any, any comments you'd like to make on that? Well, in the Milligan case, he was, he was tried by military tribunal and sentenced to death for violation of the laws of war. Um, and then he appealed and said, you know, this is, I, I need to have a jury trial, is what he, is what he claimed. Um, and the government lawyers argued when it came to the Bill of Rights, they said this, these in truth are all peace provisions of the Constitution and like all other conventional and legislative laws and enactments are silent amidst arms, and when the safety of the people become the supreme law, by the Constitution as originally adopted, no limitations were put upon the war-making and war-conducting powers of Congress and the President. And then he said, um, as a fallback argument, finally, if the military tribunal has no jurisdiction, the petitioner may be held as a prisoner of war, aiding with arms the enemies of the United States, and held under the authority of the United States until the war terminates. So basically the same claims we're hearing now, right? What does the NDAA say? That you can be detained for the duration of the conflict without jury trial or tried by military tribunal. Here's what the court had to say in response to that argument. The court in 1866 said, even these provisions expressed in such plain English words that it would seem the ingenuity of man could not evade them are now, after the lapse of more than 70 years, sought to be avoided. Those great and good men foresaw that the troublous times would arise when rulers and people would become restive under restraint and seek by sharp and decisive measures to accomplish and deem just and proper that the principles of constitutional liberty would be in peril unless established by irrepealable law. The history of the world taught them that what done in the past will be attempted in the future. And then they ruled the Constitution of the United States is the law for rulers and people equally in peace and covers with the shield of its protections all classes of men at all times and under no under all, under all circumstances. No doctrine involving more pernicious consequences was ever invented by the wit of man that any of its provisions can be suspended during any of the great agencies of government. And then he said, no usage of war could sanction a military trial for Milligan for any offense whatever of a citizen in civil life in no wise connected with the military service. Congress can grant no such power, and to the honor of our national legislature, be it said, it has never been provoked by the state of the country even to attempt its exercise. Well, this Congress just did exactly what? The Congress exactly that. They, they, 
They've gone it's remarkable, the especially that that verbiage that you just read is so black and white. It's so absolutely clear cut that there's no mistaking what was being said there, and yet somehow we've arrived at this point. They said one, one of the plaintiff's constitutional provisions was therefore infringed when Milligan was tried by a court not ordained and established by Congress and not composed of judges appointing good behavior, during good behavior. In other words, not an Article Three court. And, and, of course, he should have gotten a jury trial as well. So the Supreme Court put the martial law genie back in the bottle in 1866, and it was in that bottle, locked away, until 1942, when Franklin Roosevelt, the same guy who incarcerated and interned 100,000 Japanese Americans, more than 100,000, until he pulled it out of the bottle. And, and the New Deal Supreme Court, like, like the man said, Chris said, in an act of judicial activism, let him do whatever he wanted to do, and they pulled that martial law genie back out of the bottle. And now we're dealing with it right now. And so, you know, the republic is being destroyed right now. We are on the short road to its destruction. And so we need to choose, are we going to be 1936 Germany and slide it to the Fourth Reich, or are we going to choose 1775? That's really what our choice is going to be. A narrow window. The war is already engaged. Why stand we here idle? So. Well, we have uh, a very narrow window of a political solution. The one thing the founders did not have was the ability to remove the king or remove the traitors in, in parliament. We have the possibility of rooting them out. You know, electing Ron Paul, the presidency, rooting all the oath breakers out of Congress, we can do it. And the, the model for that, I encourage people to go look at, is what Jefferson and Madison did in reaction to the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1798. They did two things at the same time. They started a new political party to root the, the oath breakers out, and they also nullified. They went to the states and said, you must nullify. You must intercede on behalf of your citizens and declare this null and void and stand up for the Constitution. They did the two same things, nullify including the military nullifying, refusing to do this, including our sheriffs, all the veterans in the country, you know, towns, counties, states have to nullify. And at the same time, we need to root these people out, a scorched earth policy towards anybody who voted for this. Alan West voted for this. He's got to go. And who they are or why they voted for it, they're either knowing traitors or they're useful idiots, and they got to go. By any means available or lawful, root them out. If you do not root them out, if you do not turn the tide through the political process, you'll be left with nullification only, and then it's going to matter. Then it'll depend upon what the military does. Either the military does a mass nullification and refuses to do it and gives us more time to, to repair things, or they start following these orders and we're thrown into the same position as our forefathers were in 1775, having no choice but to fight back. So that's where we're going to be. Exactly. Well, very, very precarious situation, and, uh, and well, at any rate, we're living in interesting times. And on that note, we have another caller online. We have Eric in Georgia. So, Eric, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, I just want to make a comment that, uh, you know, some have put forth the proposition that the Republic is just a myth and has always been a myth, and that uh, the Revolutionary War when the Treaty of Paris was signed in 1783, that the treaty provided that the colonies, or what had been the colonies, had to pay the cost of the war. Uh, 
know, to King George, and that, uh, and that there are others such as uh, Ray Epperson of Tucson. He's maintained that, you know, our history is that of uh, a Masonic scheme, you know, the way the capital's laid out and everything, and that this is all a part of a grand scheme for this one world government, and that, uh, you know, the idea of a republic is all just a myth because when the British burned the capital in 1812, you know, it just so proved that we didn't really win our freedom, but uh, we're still under the thumb of the city of London and still a thief of the Pope. So I'll just throw that out. And also, mm-hmm. as far as oaths and keeping of oaths, uh, Jesus said, you know, let your speech, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, and, and don't be taking oaths. So, well, I'll tell you what. Most of the most of the founding generation were Christians, and quite a few of them were the Black Robe Regiment, the the, uh, the pastors who fought, and they had no problem taking oaths with the Constitution. Well, so, I'm just you know, whether you take whether you, that, but that's what they say. You, you can you can by oath or affirmation. So for those who don't believe in taking oaths and have a religious objection to it, they they do it affirmation instead. Excellent. Well, uh, any thoughts on the on the idea that uh, that people have put out there that, that the republic itself is something of an illusion, and we, we're looking at it through rose-colored glasses that we've never really had the freedoms that we, that have been enshrined in the Constitution? No, I mean, if I, if I were to go back in time, given what's happened, I certainly would have would have uh, preferred to stick with the Articles of Confederation. I would have voted against the Constitution of 1787 because, as Lysander Spooner said, it's either designed designed to allow, allow what's happened since, or it's been unable to stop it. And so I think it gave too much power and gave too much leeway. But until the American people decide to scrap it, which is their right under our Declaration of Independence, as was made clear there, until they decide to scrap it, I took an oath to defend it, and I will do so. And the only person that can absolve you from that is, is the American people themselves. So until they decide to, to, to throw off this government and create something better, I will defend what's there. And in, in particular, I'll defend the Bill of Rights, which is, as I was exactly right. say, exactly the crown right. tool of our Constitution. So, exactly, you know, and that was we what had to for be freedom. for. Right. We have to fight for freedom. And if, if that means that we wind up, if we, look at it this way. Congress is, what they're doing right now is destroying the very Constitution that created Congress. So they're destroying themselves, and so is the Obama and the executive branch and Bush before him. They're destroying the document that created their offices, and so they're destroying themselves. And, and my, from my perspective, when they destroy the Constitution, and we dissolve, we devolve back to being sovereign states. And that's the thing that we should take a very serious look at is that what, what do you do when the compact between the people and the, between the people and among the states, if it's, if it's destroyed, um, you devolve back to being sovereign states and then you just pick up the pieces from there and, and decide how you go, how you go forward. So that's, that's kind of where we are. But we're on that, we're on the edge of that destruction and having to revert back to being sovereign states. 
Well, exactly right. I mean, I think the, the underlying principles of, of the Declaration of Independence are, are the absolute bedrock foundation of everything that the American spirit has been and, and should be directed at, and I don't think there's right. anything we can find fault with there. And, uh, and whatever system has been built upon those bedrock principles may be faulty, but, uh, but again, it's up to the people to, to, keep, uh, to keep it honest. And if they're not involved in that process, then, then it's going to fall apart. So looking at the Oath Keepers and, and the types of things that you're doing, looking at, in the immediate aftermath, obviously, of this NDAA, and all of this, but also in the longer term, what are some of the uh, things that you're involved in right now to try to raise awareness of and, and try to get the uh, more people involved in the organization? Well, right now we're focused on two, like I said, two, two major problems. One is the current serving to get them to wake up and realize what's happening. And I think the NDAA is, frankly, is, is in some ways a gift because now I can go to them and say, look, you don't have to go look at Supreme Court cases or read about what the president did and claimed the power to do. Just go read this bill. It's right in front of your face. It's not conspiracy theory. It's right there. It makes it much more, much easier for us to reach them and say, this is what's happening right now. It's time for you to decide on which side you're going to be on in history. And so that's the one, one element of that is, is, is reaching the current survey. The second element is our obligations of those of us veterans. We have an oath we took also that we have to fulfill. And we are getting them ready as, as we possibly can to do that throughout the spectrum starting with a recall, starting with challenging them in the primaries. We tell them, look, if you vote for an oath-breaker, that makes you an oath-breaker. If you vote for someone that you know is going to violate their oath, already has, and it's in the past experience, like McCain or Romney, who signed the assault ban in Massachusetts, you know, people who have already demonstrated their contempt for the Constitution or their ignorance, if you vote for someone like that, what's it make you? It makes you an oath-breaker. So take it serious and stop compromising. There's always been this drive among conservatives, for example, to say, well, we have to get behind whoever the party you know, brings out. Well, look right now. This expatriation bill is being um, co-sponsored by Lieberman and Scott Brown, the Tea Party guy. And in the House, it's Charlie Dent, a Republican, along with a couple of Democrats. It's a bipartisan assault. The NDAA was written by Levin, a Democrat, and John McCain, a Republican. Party doesn't matter. What matters is, is whether they are constitutionalists or whether they are totalitarian. That's the two parties we have right now. It's either you're, you're for the Constitution, you will, you're for freedom, or you're a totalitarian. And so that's that's the dividing line now. Which one is it, Fourth Reich or 1776? Make your choice. Exactly, exactly right. And that's something that I've been trying to raise awareness of in all of my work is that the, the political spectrum that we've been presented with is just the charade in order to perpetuate the system, and both sides are really on the same side. They're on the, the totalitarian side of the uh, the line, and, and the true constitutionalists are few and far between. And that's why I like the idea of breaking it into oath keepers and oath breakers, because that's a pretty good way of, uh, of demarking that line and, and showing people that there's a completely different paradigm than the one they've been presented with on the evening news. Absolutely. I mean, look at the NDAA. You had 13 senators who voted against it, both Republicans and Democrats. All the rest, 87 of them on both sides, voted for it. That's the breakdown. Either they're going to defend the Bill of Rights or they're not. So which one is it? Exactly right. Well, what kind of response have you, uh, have you personally been seeing for, uh, to this uh, NDAA? Because as I've noted before, I, I've seen just incredible uh, opposition to this and, and real uh, uh, people actually going and, and, and taking a look at this and, and really being startled by it. And even mainstream sites like Gawker and even the Young Turks and, and people you wouldn't expect are really coming down hard on this and really calling out for the, the tyranny it is, which is a great sign, I guess, that people are finally waking up. What have you noticed on that front? 
same thing. And it's, and it's bipartisan reaction, which is what's which is what's good and necessary. It's a bipartisan murder of the Bill of Rights. It needs to be a bipartisan rescue of the Bill of Rights. And that's why here in Montana, I teamed up with a Democrat by the name of William Crane, who's an artist from Billings. He's you know he's a Democrat. I'm a Republican. We're getting together to do this recall effort and recalling all of our congressional delegation. Rayburg, Congressman Rayburg, who's a Republican, along with the two Democrats that are in our, in our Senate delegation, Tester and Bacchus, we're, we're trying to recall all three of them. And it doesn't make a difference. Party's not, not important. What counts is the Bill of Rights. That's, what, you know, that's, that's the dividing line, because without the Bill of Rights, there is no America. So we have to set aside other differences. We have some pretty serious differences. I'm very much more libertarian and economically than he is. That's, that's for sure. But we will stand together to defend the Bill of Rights. And if we don't do that, they will divide and conquer us and we'll be gone. Well, that's right. I mean, if we can't come together on these key issues, then, then certainly there's no way we'll ever be able to defend what, the, what freedoms remain in our society. So absolutely important that people understand how important it is to make alliances with people who are willing to listen and willing to, to forge those, uh, those alliances on these core bedrock principles that really are the foundation of the United States. So on that note, again, we'll take a short break, but when we come back, we'll finish up talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. So for anyone who hasn't yet done so, I really do suggest you go and check out Oath Keepers and come to your own conclusions about what's going on. And once you do, get involved, get in the fight. We'll be right back after this. Folks, it is Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we've been speaking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. Once again, a very important organization helping to raise awareness and really to just keep people uh, accountable for the oath that they've already affirmed to the Constitution and upholding it against all enemies, foreign and domestic, which is not a radical idea, but in radical times it becomes a radical idea. So, Stuart, uh, just in the final few minutes here, perhaps you can let us know a little bit more about how people can find out about Oath Keepers and what they can do to support this uh, organization. I think go to OathKeepers.org. And uh, memberships available to current serving and, and, and veterans of, of all the you know, military, police, and fire. But we also allow folks who've never served to join as associate members and help help with our efforts. And um, one other on, on our website is also a link at the very top to Operation Sleeping Giant uh, com, which is our mission to um, square people away from preparedness and get them focused on strengthening their communities, on sound money. Um, on sovereignty, state sovereignty, and the independence of their sheriff, all of those things. We're trying to get the veterans to, to really focus on, on four major planks, getting themselves as strong as possible. So when there's an economic collapse or when there's you know, an attempt to impose martial law and uh, you know, pull the plug on the Constitution, they will be in the strongest position possible. So those are the two parts of our, our mission is to, to the current serving and also to the veterans. So go to Ocubers.org. And, what, and off to the right-hand side are, are some really important videos they can go watch. One of them is an interview with Staff Sergeant Joshua May, who was at Katrina, the Utah National Guard. His entire unit refused to participate in gun confiscation. And so he's a really good model of what we're trying to do. And also there's an interview there with 
Gunter Spence, who was an East German lieutenant colonel, you know, when the wall fell in 1989 in East Germany, and he, he recounts in his interview how the military refused to use force against the protesters, and two days later the wall came down. So those are the two great examples of what we're trying to achieve within the military. Exactly right. And as you say, I mean, there's just so much information there on OathKeepers.org. I mean, if you just even scroll down the front page there, it uh, goes on quite a bit. And OathKeepers, uh, they've got the the oath there and, and all of the different um, segments broken down. So there's tons of information there. And once you've gone and checked it out and, and checked out the organization and what it stands for, and if you agree with it, of course, uh, Stuart might be too bashful to say, but there is a donate button there as well. Because, of course, uh, this organization, like any other, requires funds to, to keep it going and growing and and uh, hopefully making a difference as the NDAA and HR 3166 and whatever else they have up their sleeves keeps coming down the line at us. So once again, Stuart, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been really a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we can have you back on the program to talk more about these extremely important issues. Anytime. Thank you very much. All right, there he goes, Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org. And as we continue taking a look at all of this legislation, uh, again, it's just so much coming all at once, and it tends to be overwhelming, which is why I think this really is a war of attrition, and it's whoever gives up first loses. So we have to continue fighting back against this, this ridiculous legislation that they keep trying to force down our throats, and it's really just decimating the Bill of Rights and everything that uh, the Founding Fathers and, and everyone who was an American really stood for. Well, they're trying to subvert all of that as we speak. So this is an important thing to get involved with. Oathkeepers.org is a great place to go to get more information on all of these issues, and I hope you do go there. Until now, until tomorrow night, I uh, wish you adieu, and I will be back tomorrow night with the Friday night highlights. So we'll be going over some stories from CorbettReport.com's past highlighting the police state and martial law. Until then, thank you for listening, and take care. <laughs>